Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Can you believe it? It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. Fires. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Tune in to the newest show presented by Clovercrest Media. It's Obi's Backstop Podcast. Catch it twice a week, every Red Sox series finale on your favorite podcast platform. On tonight's show of Speaking Your Real, Frank will be covering the rise in iPhone addictions, Biden's crime plan, the unrest in Haiti after the presidential assassination, and lastly, Cuban protests. All this and much more starting right now. Coming to you live from Clearwater, Florida, it's Speaking It Real. Here's your hosts, Frank Cuesta and Carlos Contreras. Wednesday. Our um, Speaking at Rio banner needs to say, coming to you live from Miami, Florida, with your host on Wednesday night, Frank Cuesta. But we haven't fixed that one yet. But I'm sure we're working on it. We're going to get it going. You know, um, on today's show, actually, we're going to have um, Richard Capriola. He's an author of a book called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Uh, he's going to give us, you know, insights on what to look for um, if you suspect your child is using drugs. Or not really, I guess, substance abuse could be anything nowadays. You know, but I think um will be good. Um, the Cuba stuff, we're probably going to leave until Friday. Obviously, I got my Cuba flag back there. Got my American flag because that's where I'm, that's what I'm at. That's what I am. I got Cuban roots, so. But uh, we might, depending on how the show goes. What's up, Sketchy? Glad to see you're back. We've missed you the past couple weeks. You know? But um, let's go ahead and let's bring in Richard. And, hey, Richard, how are you? Uh, Richard, you're muted. I'm muted? Oh, uh, uh, there you go. You're unmuted now. I'm unmuted. Okay, that's good. I like to be unmuted so I can talk. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on the program. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I know uh, when you reached out to me, um, or yeah, we uh, we kind of touched up a little bit about what you do, and I I did see your background a bit. You know, as, as far as you know, your about your book. You know, it was I was very. Very interested in it, you know, just for the fact that I have kids and a lot of our listeners are also have their kids, you know, and kind of um, will give um, parents an insight on what to look for, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's that's pretty much a good summary, uh, you know, insight, uh, knowledge. I think knowledge is power. 
Uh, I wrote this book after uh, having spent years as an addictions counselor for adults and adolescents diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issues. And, and so many times I would meet with a family and I would go over their child's history of using a substance and they would look at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would, uh, uh, they would say, well, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So I wanted to provide this resource. I wanted to keep it short because I know a lot of parents don't have time to read two or 300 pages. Uh, so I kept it to about 107 pages, but I packed it with a lot of information that I hope uh, parents who read it and anyone who's interested in adolescent substance abuse will walk away uh, thinking, okay, I've got this. I understand it a little bit better. And, and if needed, I'm better prepared to deal with it. Good, good. Um, I know um, it was funny enough. I was talking to my mom. I'm on Saturday about it, and I was like, "Hey, you might want to tune in, you know, because my mom's always with um with, with my niece and nephews, you know." Mm-hmm. So it was one of those where I was like, "Hey, tune into it." And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you know, make sure you remind me." So, hey, mom, it's on, <laughs> you know. Well, that's good advice, Frank, because uh, this book's not just for parents. It's uh, for grandparents, aunts and uncles, uh, anybody who uh, uh, wants to know about adolescent substance abuse or, or, or knows an adolescent or even a family that has an adolescent. This book uh, is really intended to be a resource for everyone. Right. So what, what, what would you say the maybe the top, um, how do I word it? the top warning signs would be? Well, I have different warning signs in my book. I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have different ones for a child that might be abusing alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be developing um, self uh, uh, an eating disorder or a child that might be self-harming because sometimes uh, those can accompany a child using a substance. But uh, as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to those changes. Don't assume that they're just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be, but there may be also an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you need to you need to look into. Uh, some examples would be a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are declining. A child who used to enjoy participating in sports no longer wants to participate in sports. A child that used to be very verbal and outgoing now becomes very quiet and secretive. A child who uh, used to openly uh, introduce you to their friends you knew who their friends were. You might have even known who their family members were and their parents now becomes very secretive of, of their friends. So these are some examples of changes that if you see those in your child uh, and they and they linger for, for, for a period of time, they don't just go, you know, a day or two. And the more of these changes that you see, you begin to see one and then another one and another one. I think those are indicators that uh, you, you probably want to look into it and, and, and get some assessments to see what's going on underneath the surface okay all right all right um so one of the questions i actually we we spoke about um before the show came on was you know the differences between from when you see from when a child starts using any substances to an adult yeah you know so to me, you know, I've always told people that, hey, look, you know, if these kids are starting super young, the addiction, the addiction p- 
pointers or rates are all there, as opposed to having an adult, you know, start, you know, in his 20s. You you're, know, you're absolutely right, Frank. Um, <clears throat> almost all addiction, uh, the large majority of addiction starts in the adolescent years. Uh, you know, uh, some adults become addicted uh, as adults, but almost all addiction has its, um, its, its, its beginnings in the adolescent years, which is a very vulnerable time for, uh, for addiction to begin to surface and, and, and develop. And, and there are two differences uh, between adult addiction and adolescent addiction. Uh, the first is in terms of brain development. The adult brain is fully developed at around age 24 or 25. The adolescent brain is in the process of developing. And that simply means that in a developing, maturing brain, introduction of a substance for an adolescent carries a lot more risk because you, you, the, the brain is vulnerable. Uh, it's more likely to be captured by addiction. There's more likely to be damage that's done by drugs. So the, 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 the adolescent brain is in the process of developing. That's the first difference. The second difference between between adult addiction and adolescent addiction is consequences. Uh, many adults who have become captured by drugs, become addicted to drugs, have faced catastrophic consequences. These are not small consequences. These are catastrophic consequences. They might have lost a job. They might have lost a family or a marriage. They might have been incarcerated. These are catastrophic consequences. Uh, adoles adolescents, on the other hand, they face very few consequences other than perhaps their, their parents yelling at them or grounding them or, or doing something else to restrict them, but nowhere near the type of potential catastrophic consequences that an adult faces who's addicted to a substance. Right. So I think uh, you just answered Sketchy Peasant's uh, question, you know, which was, Richard, isn't the common denominator for youth who deal with substance use have traumatic events that have happened growing up? or are dealing with issues presently? That's an excellent question because so many times um, an adolescent is using a substance to medicate an underlying psychological issue. Uh, just about all of the kids that I worked with, because I worked in a psychiatric hospital, were using a substance to medicate that underlying emotional issue. It might have been anxiety, it might have been depression, it might have been some type of trauma, maybe being bullied at school, but there's an underlying reason as to why the child is using a substance. Not in every case, but in some cases, a child is using a substance to medicate that intolerable thought or feeling or memory. And, and many times, unfortunately, we focus so much on the child's use of a substance that we miss the fact that there's an underlying issue that might be uh, driving that child's use of a substance. Uh, that, that happens in, in, unfortunately, many cases. All right, well, we have uh, Laura Rodriguez McDonald. She's actually a host of one of the other podcasts on our network. She's asking, uh, do you think the pandemic has increased the use of opioids in teens? I, I'm not sure that it has increased the use of opiates in teens, but there was just released a report that showed in the past year, the, the pandemic year, that there has been a tremendous increase in the number of deaths associated to opiate 
addiction, opiate use. It has been one of the highest ever recorded during the pandemic use of narcotics and opiate overdoses. Uh, what we're seeing in the adolescent population is during, during the uh, pandemic, over the year of the pandemic, a, a tremendous increase in mental health services for school-age children. These are, these are kids showing up in emergency rooms in need of mental health services. So there's no question that the pandemic has affected not just adolescents, but also adolescents, not just adults, but adolescents as well. And I think we're just scratching the surface on, on, on the effect that we're seeing. Yeah, I, I think um, we're, we're just starting to see stuff, you know, that because of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that we've seen half of it. I you agree. Know, the, the pandemic has, you know, I mean, I was what? Um, I, was with, I, I was without work for six, seven months. You know, my case alone, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was okay financially. So, you know, I, I took a hit, but not that big of a hit as opposed to, to other people. Yeah. You know, so I was able to kind of survive that. But I know people that are right now that are still just lost or like, okay, what do I do? Yeah, and, and I you would know. not be surprised to learn as we get back into the statistics of this that there has been an increase uh, in substance use among adults uh, as a result of the pandemic. I, I, I saw one note not too long ago about the fact that uh, women al women's alcohol use has skyrocketed during the pandemic. That's, that's just among women. Right. Yeah. Laura is also asking, what can parents do to support a child dealing with these issues? I think the best thing that they can do, the first thing that they should do is get a comprehensive assessment so that they have the have all of the information on what the what's going on. Is it just a substance abuse issue or is there an underlying issue, uh, a psychological issue that needs to be addressed? Get the information, get the professional assessments, get the get an accurate current diagnosis and a treatment plan so that you know what you're dealing with and what your options are for treatment. And then as you go along, you know, as a parent, um, you need help and support as well. Uh, we often put all the focus on the child, but the parents are going through their own crisis. They're going through their own struggles. So they need support and they need a support system around them as they try to deal with this and support their child. Definitely. I, I, I really agree with you on that one. I think the parents are ones that you know, once once we as parents, we spot our child, you know, in whatever type of situation, we ourselves are like, okay, I know what to do for him or her. Well, what I do now for myself, how, how, do, how do I deal with it, you know, mentally? You know, am I going to jump down their throat all the time? Am I going to watch them a lot more 24-7? Because at, at the same time, you know, whatever the child's going through, whatever they're, they're doing, you know, you're not, you can't be around them, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, you can't. And it's a it's a very frightening situation for a parent because they're scared. You know, they, they're, they've confronted many times in a crisis situation with this and, and they're at a loss on what to do. So it's important that parents who are going through this process get the support and the help that they need and the guidance that they need so that they're able to get through this in, in a way that is both uh, helpful for them and helpful for their child. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So, oh gosh, I had that question here. Um, yeah, I, you know, I really hate when that happens where I, I, have, I have the question. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask this. I got it going. I got it going and bam. But you know what? Um, so the differences between kids, right? Um, what would you say the difference is between a kid that's actually talking a lot about what he's doing and a child that's not talking? Well, I, I, I would be concerned about both. Uh, the child that is withdrawing and isolating and becoming uh, basically not talking very much, I, I think that's a concern. You want to know what's going on. Uh, the child isn't going to share much information with you, so you're going to have to rely on the professionals to get the assessment so that, so that you can get the diagnosis and figure out what's going on. All treatment begins with a comprehensive assessment and, and, a, and a diagnosis so that you know what you're confronted with. And then a treatment plan which sort of guides you as to what treatment is needed. There, There is no one treatment that fits every single child. It really is based on the comprehensive assessment. And by comprehensive, I mean, you need more than just an addictions assessment. You need a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment. You need a good complete physical exam. Uh, so, so you need to approach this from a comprehensive viewpoint. Hmm. So, let's see, we spoke about warning signs, correct? Yes. yes. Yes, we did. All right, all right. So, what is, you know, I know that you have kids that, oh, I want to kill myself. Yeah. Right? So, when that happens... There's obviously, there's something underlining that's going on. Yes. You know, um, I know that I've seen parents be like, well, I don't really want to bake, baker act them right away. You know, so it's like, what's the best thing around that? What will be? Well, that's, that, that's a very frightening situation for a parent to, to hear his child say, I, I want to kill myself. You know, that, that's scary. That's frightening for a parent. Um, so you need to act on that. That is not something that you take lightly. Uh, and I'm not saying you need to, you know, send them to a long-term treatment center or anything, but you definitely need to take it seriously, get the child into some type of, uh, of facility. Maybe it's an emergency room uh, where mm -hmm. they can be assessed by professionals and give you the advice uh, as to what needs to be done because you never want to underestimate a child who's making that statement. Maybe they're doing it for attention, but you can't just assume that. You need to get the professionals to sort that out for you because as parents, we're not the professionals. Right. We're, we're, we need to rely on, on the psychiatrist and the child psychiatrist to be able to assess this situation and then give us the information we need. But, but that can be a very dangerous situation to ignore. Right. Yeah. Catherine says that it can also be looking for attention, which we just we just discussed. Yeah, it, it can be. You know? But you don't want to assume that you want to get it checked out. Correct. So sketchy is asking or is stating maybe is, is it a root problem? The lack of communication with parents and their children. Uh, some children don't feel like they can be honest with their parents due to fear or other problematic reasons. 
I think it's a very good question. You know, when we ask children, uh, what is it that keeps you from talking to your parents about uh, problems that you're having or an issue? Uh, the answer that comes back is a fear of being judged. Uh, they don't want to be judged, especially by their parents. So uh, my advice to parents, regardless of the age of your child, uh, is begin to develop uh, good communication skills. And by that, I mean, we're pretty good at, at listening to each other's words when we talk, but sometimes we're not so good at being able to listen to the feelings that are behind those words. And that's a skill that every parent can learn so that when you're talking to your child, you're just not hearing their words, you're hearing the feelings of those words and reflecting them back and getting validation as to whether or not what you're picking up is what's really going on. Right. Laura is asking, when does it cross the line from experimenting to a problem? When, when, when the use is causing uh, problems in the child's life. Um, you know, one of the things that we look at when we, when we do a diagnosis is um, not just the extent of use, but how that use is interfering with the person's life. How is it really curtailing their ability to function in life? And the more things that we see that are being curtailed or negatively impacted by a substance use, then the, then the diagnosis goes from a substance abuse that's mild to moderate to severe. And what distinguishes those three classifications is how extensive this drug or this substance use is interfering with the person's life and their ability to perform, whether it's in school or on the job or in a relationship or in a family. Because more of the substance is negatively affecting a person's life, the more likely they are to get a diagnosis of substance, of substance use disorder. Okay, so Catherine Nicole is asking, what do you do if your child doesn't want to talk to a therapist? And I no. can kind of understand that because, you know, kids nowadays don't really want to talk to anybody, l let alone a therapist, especially when they feel like, oh, I, I got to talk to this person. I'm not crazy or I'm not that. You know, so yeah. I don't know of any child that wants to talk to a therapist. Uh, pretty much uh, every child that was brought into my hospital, into into the clinic where I worked, came in fighting and, and opposed, and they either tried to negotiate or beg or argue or or scream their way into not getting into the hospital. But the message to parents is, you have to hold the line. You have to insist that the child either participate in in, in treatment or if necessary be admitted into a hospital where they can go through a comprehensive assessment this is a this is potentially a very dangerous topic a child using substances they're not going to voluntarily want to go into treatment or into counseling. Uh, but the research also indicates that mandated treatment works. We know that mandated treatment works. So as a parent, uh, as scary as this can be, uh, you need to hold the line and get your child into the assessments. And then that will give you the guidance as to what treatment needs to be done. And then you need to follow up and get and insist on that treatment. Your child's going to resist it. Just know that. But as a parent, you're, you're used to your child saying no. This is not going to be the first time they told you no, and probably not the first time you held the line when they said no. So, you know, just just continue to be the good parent and, and do what you have to do. Yeah, being a parent nowadays is rough. I think, be, you know what, it's, it's not even nowadays, you know, 
Um, it's just being a parent is rough in general, whether it's now, yesterday, tomorrow, the next day. It's, it's, it's one know. of the most challenging and yet mo one of the most rewarding experiences that a person can have. But there's no question that these drugs that are out there, it, it's very scary for parents. And, and I wrote the book, hopefully, to give them knowledge so it would be less frightening and they'd, they'd feel more confident in their ability to address this issue. But the things that are driving the, the substance use among adolescents are, are two things, the availability of drugs drugs. These kids know these drugs are readily available. When we ask them, you know, over 80% of them tell us how easy it is for them to get a drug like marijuana or alcohol. It's not a problem. So the availability is one issue. But the other issue is kids don't perceive these drugs as being dangerous. When we ask them, how dangerous do you think it is to smoke marijuana on a regular basis? Very few of them say they think that's dangerous. So when you combine the fact that these drugs are readily available and these kids don't see their very, the, them as very dangerous. You have, you have a situation uh, where you know, drugs, are, drugs are out there and kids, uh, kids know about it and they can get them if they want them. Right. So Sketchy is asking, is there a correlation between the lack of living wages, affordable housing and income inequality, which affects the parents and ultimately the children to raise an adolescent substance abuser? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, all kids, all children are vulnerable to being captured by alcohol or drug use, all kids. There is no protected kid and there, there can be a protective environment, but there is no protective child. It doesn't matter where you live, urban, suburban, rural. It doesn't matter what school you go to. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what your family income level is. All children are vulnerable to being captured by alcohol and drug use. Wow. Um, interesting topic. I'm sure there's a lot more in your book. Um, so where is it we could find your book at? The book's available on Amazon. Um, it's also available by going to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, helptheaddictedchild.com. When you go to the site, you can review endorsements, book reviews, you can read a sample chapter, you can learn about the parent workbook, uh, which I wrote to help parents because they're going through their own uh, struggles with this. Um, and there's a link that will take you to Amazon and the book is available as a Kindle for people who like to read on their Kindle and it's also available as a paperback and there's a link where if you have a question you'll be able to send me a note you know that sounds great um i do want to thank you for being on um i mean guys if you have any questions for them if you you know feel free to get a hold of them you know but buy the book i know that i'm gonna buy the book you know, and I'm going to give you a good review on it, you know, once I get to it. Great. Appreciate you know. it. Sketchy. Let's see where, where Sketchy at. Richard, thank you for your knowledge and the work you're doing. This is a vital subject that needs more discussion. Yes. Thank I you, agree. Sketchy. Thank you, you know. Sketchy. I appreciate it. And, and I appreciate you asking your questions. Uh, I think they brought up some important issues. Yeah, we have some, you know... We, we got we got our listeners that are loyal and very you know they they interact with us all the time. That's you great. Know? 
But um, again, I, I do want to thank you for coming on. We're going to jump into a quick commercial here. Uh, ugh, perfect. Zach came back just in time. I lost my producer. <laughs> but I think he came back. But uh, yeah, we're going to run a, a quick commercial break here, guys. And uh, we'll be right back with you with the show. Hello, my name is Joe Aguirre. I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group. And here at CMG, we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Men. And great true crime shows like Sticky Meek, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Burn, The Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. You can find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com. Well, well, I'm back. Uh, look, guys, Richard is awesome. Um, don't know what else to say about that. I think the topics he brought up were outstanding. I think um, you guys that have kids out there, we got to look at the signs. You know, we got to make sure that our kids are mentally stable and they're mentally correct. You know, it's maybe not everything is always fun and games, you know. But, you know, going on to to other things today, I um, I ran into a post, actually, and I'm actually going to uh, put it on here that was sent today to me, right? This gentleman. My name is Michael Leroy Bird. I murdered an unarmed white woman in the Capitol building, and the DOG dropped the case. You know, this one goes out to my buddy, John W. Barrows. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tag him real quick. You know why? Because I got crap. Because my response to him on this was, hey, yeah, he did shoot somebody. He shot a terrorist. Person that went into the Capitol. You know what? You have every right to... To not be here. You know, by his buddies, I was called the moron. Um, I actually invited all of them to come on the show. I'm like, hey, come on the show, discuss your case. You know, so, obviously, nobody's there. They're not here. They're not watching. So, you know what, guys? I mean, hey, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for what you guys want to do, what you guys want to say. You know, because at the end of the day, if you're coming into the Capitol with a riot full of people, the cops did what they had to do. So, where's where's John? Where are your buddies, John? Come talk to me. Come fight with me. Come argue with me. I'm waiting. You know what? You guys hear that? You guys hear that? Because I hear it. I hear nothing. I don't see them. 
hey, you know what? So be it. You know, it is what it is. What could you do? You have these people that just like to hide behind, you know, like like to hide behind Facebook, you know, like to hide behind your phone. Come out. Come out. Come out and play. You know, I'm more than willing to have a nice discussion with anybody. Doesn't matter who it is. But obviously they can't. All these Trump Republicans, you know, they post off when you go against them. They call you a moron. That's what I was called. I was called a moron. Doesn't hurt me. I'm not bothered by it. You know what? In other news, we have a South Carolina hospital fired five staffers this week after they allegedly refused to get vaccinated. Should they get vaccinated? Should they not get vaccinated? Okay, I think I lost Zach again. Yep, I lost my producer, guys. So give me give me some a little bit here. I gotta figure this out now. So here we go. Hospital fires employees for refusing to get vaccinated. So do you do you guys think it's right? Because I really don't think it's right. If I don't get wanna get vaccinated, what why why does my job you know have to you know, have to um, get rid of me when I just wear a mask. Wouldn't that be a little better? So now, under the policy, the leaders and new hires were required to get the shot first and the rest of the system's employees were get kind of by the end of June. Okay, so... Is the only hospital in the state that has mandated vaccines for its employees. The state reported exceptions were made for employees who completed a religious or medical waiver. Well, man, come on. If you know that that's going to happen, why not just... I think it's up to the person. It should be forced on anyone. Catherine, I completely agree with you. It, sh- it shouldn't be forced on anybody. If the, Let's see what sketchy here goes. If the hospital is at... An at-will employer, the hospital has every right to fire someone for no reason. No, you know what's sketchy? I completely agree with you on that. You know, I mean, Florida is an at-will employer also. So out here, um, I could fart and get fired, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I get that. But the fact that they're, you know, the article stating that they... um. They're getting fired because they take the vaccine is one thing, you know. So I mean, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, you know, in Florida, like I said, you you could look at the you could look at your boss wrong, and it doesn't matter. They'll fire you just because you know it's it's an at will state. Hey, uh, sketchy. By the way, didn't you and I have a date last week? What happened to you, buddy? You know, I remember you telling me, hey, I have a date Friday, but Wednesday I'm yours. I missed you last Wednesday, man. You know, you forgot about me, Sketchy. But hey, I get it. I forgive you. Maybe your date went from Friday to Wednesday. So, speaking of your date, how did it go? 
You know, was it any good? Did you have fun? I guess uh, maybe he got a little quiet now. Don't know. So we'll see. So you know what? We're talking about addictions. You know, um, guarantee you that this is an addiction also. Oh, wait. Gotta get uh, my phone on. Da, da, da. Sorry, my man. These past two weeks have been hectic. My date went well. We have a second one scheduled next week. Yo, that's freaking great. I'm glad. That's that's awesome, man. You know what? Dates are fun when you have them. You know, when you're single, they're even better. You know, um, so going on to, to other things here, and, and since we're talking about it, we're going to jump into phone addictions. You know, kind of, you know, we were talking about addictions. I didn't jump into phone addictions with Richard because I didn't think it was appropriate. You know, not phone addictions because that's not what we're talking about. But, you know, there's top 12 signs that you are addicted to your phone. Or actually, these are, let's see, smartphones that become essential Central but fixation with all they have to offer, apps, social media, streaming games, and more can be a slippery slope. Do you think so? What do you think about that? Do you think phones are addicting? Do you think they're not? Um, let, let me know what you guys think about that. You know, so know why you want to improve. If you're, if you're finding it hard to look up from your phone these days, here are 12 ways to start moving in the right direction. When you're single, they're better. Of course, Catherine, of course, dates when you're single are better. It doesn't matter. You could go out and have a good old time and not worry about coming home. You know? So, you know what? Look, 12 ways to start moving in the right direction. Know why you want to improve. Phone addiction is a big problem, especially with the youth. Every time I'm out, people are looking at their screens instead of interacting phones main purpose are to call people you know i completely agree with you you know but you know what's happened it's they our phones have been so readily accessible to everything and i'll be honest i use my phone a lot i um a lot of the times when i can't get to a computer i'm using my phone to go ahead and do my spreadsheet for the show you know, I'm just bum, 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 bum. I'll go on to the spreadsheet. Oh, I found a good link to talk about. Dunk. And I put it on there. So, you know, it's, you got to learn also, you know, how long you're going to use your phone for. You know, it's, I use it to do the show. Bam, 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 bam. Put it down for a little while. You know, um, another way to kind of uh, start getting rid of it, of that habit is time limits. You know, know when, you know, set a time. Okay, I'm going to use the phone between this time and that time. Going to use it here, going to use it there. Then not use it anymore. Uh, learn your triggers. I don't think, you know, why are you using your phone too much with any behavior we're trying to change or something that prompts you to behave. So I guess, I don't know about your triggers. You know, I mean, because it could be anything that's going to trigger you. To grab your phone. I mean. One thing you do have to do is. Dismiss fears of missing out on your phone. 
dismiss them. I mean, I um, I left my phone at home a couple weeks ago. And I mean, in my case, I was using it for work. So at lunch, I came, I came back home. I picked up my phone. And I realized how much I was using it at work for work purposes. It wasn't even a personal use. It was for work purposes. And I was like, wow. You know, it was one of those where we're really relying on it. If you're using the phone for meaningful things, then it's okay. Time, time limits are imperative. People are mostly on TikTok, Instagram, or other apps that write your brain. Less phones and more books. Oh, I agree. I mean, I'm not much of a reader, to be honest with you. You know, I think I'm... I've probably read a lot more here in the past six months than what I have in a long time. You know, well, let's see what else we got here. Establish no, no phone zones. I like that one. Establish places where you're not going to use the phone. Like at the dinner table. You know, when, you, when you're hanging out with family. You know, nowadays, you know, you, you go somewhere... With your family, you're at a party or whatever it is, and you know what? You're, you're all good. Everyone's on the phone. You know what? Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of using the phone. Turn off your notifications. Okay. That one also works. Delete things you could use your laptop for. Yeah. But isn't that the same thing as being on an, on an electronic device regardless? My opinion. Turn to others. If none of these initial tips work, seek help from others who can hold you accountable. Hmm. You gotta find somebody that doesn't ha have a phone to seek others. I don't know how much that's gonna work. You know, but it might. It might not. I don't know about that. So, let me ask you, are you into the Tiger King? Like the show, not the guy, the show. You know, um, just so you all know, uh, federal courts have vacated Joe Exotic's 22-year prison sentence for applied to murder animal rights activist Carol Baskin. Um, this this was published today, so you know, but he will have to be resentenced. So he's going to be resentenced. It's not going to be 22 years. You know, so let's see what happens. You know, it's going to be pretty interesting. You know, I got um. I got a new puppy. Let me see if I could get you get the picture of the puppy. See uh, what you guys think of this guy. He um he um what do you call it? Got him Sunday. It's fun because I take him out. I bring him in, and he shits. You know, so go figure, you know, um, can't do what I wanted to do there. All right. 
so anyways, so, you know, it's hard to break in a puppy. He's five months. He's a little uh, French bulldog. You have any ideas how I can break this dog in? Because he doesn't like to go outside. Please, name your puppy after me, Sketchy. You know what? I would, but I got a problem. I have a dog already that's named Thunder. I have a bearded dragon that's named Lightning. This dog already came with the name of Biggie. So I'm actually, I named him Hurricane Biggie. Just for the fact to continue, continue with the, um, with the weather, uh, with the weather names. You know, just because, let me tell you, he's cute. You put him in the cage and he barks up a storm. Um, he sleeps right next to my bed. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, everyone seems to like that name. You know, that was, I mean, like I said, he came with Biggie, so hurricanes, Hurricane Set. You know, I actually, let me see. I don't know if you guys can see this. There he is. See? That's Biggie right there. Oh, he's gone. So, go figure, you know. He, uh, he's a smart dog, though. I, um, I crate him, so it kind of works. You know, but, um. When I was crating him, I, what, I've had him since Sunday. Now he walks into the crate by himself. I would go ahead, give him a little treat. Hey, kennel. Boop. Throw him in there. And now he walks in by himself. So that's great. So now I need to get the pee and the shit out of the house, and I'll be freaking great. You know? But, you know, um, we've come down to, to it today. Um, one thing I'm going to touch on. Very, very quick, and I don't want too long on it because I know Carlos and I are going to talk about it on Friday, this Cuba situation. That is going to be the story to touch upon on Friday. Those people have been fighting the regime for 60 years. I want guests on Friday that have been part of the revolution, that that saw it happen, that have grown up in it. If you guys out there know anybody that took part in it, that grew up in it, I don't care the age. You could be 80 years old. You could be 90 years old. You could only speak Spanish. I don't give a damn. I will put you on. Because I want to hear stories from 60 years ago, 50, 40, 30, 20. I, w I want to hear the different generational stories, you know, of how this government took over. I mean, I, I kind of already know because I went, you know, I've heard it through, through, my, through my parents and all. But I want to try to get a lot of the, the new Cubans, I guess. You know, their, their side of the stories of, hey, look, this is what I saw. This is what we did. You know, just to kind of see how the different generations acted upon against the government. You know, look, 
the people over there, I could tell you that, or without food, you know, very little food, medicine, they're all dying now of COVID, which is leading to why they're they're um, going against the government, why they're protesting, you know. But a lot, a lot of them are dying, and I don't know what could be done. Um. It's just one of those. I know that a lot of people are saying, oh, Trump will do this, Trump will do that. Look, no one has stepped foot in Cuba in years. You know, so I seriously doubt that the government hears or do anything. I could tell you that I have seen it. There's people on boats armed to the gills going on international waters trying to to see what they could do, you know. But I will tell you that the time is now to act and do whatever you can do because there's no tomorrow anymore, you know. But, hey, we'll touch more on that on Friday with Carlos. Um, listen, you could catch us on Facebook, YouTube, Speaking a Real Podcast on YouTube. Uh, Twitter, Speaking It Real Podcast 1. or No, I'm sorry, Speaking It Real 1 on Twitter. Obviously, Facebook, you know, we're there. So, hey, you, you might agree with what we're speaking, or you might disagree with what we're speaking. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's on this show or who's not on the show. And by the way, John W. Barrows, you're horrible. Much love to Cuba and the Cuban people. Viva la revelación. The revolution. See, I completely agree, Sketchy. But hey, man, we still want to get you on this show, man. So we're going to figure you out on how to get you on. But I want you on this show, man. But hey, we'll see you Friday.